0: A number of years ago when we lived in Tennessee we had a fairly big yard, uh, we planted a little peach tree and it came from probably Lowe's or somewhere else and, and, and it had, this little peach tree had a, uh, a wooden post secured to it with some sort of string or ties or something like that. And we went out, and we planted it in the backyard, and we actually put a little garden there with some carrots and some other things. I don't remember what. Um, But we did that in, in, I think, late winter when the trees that were nearby didn't have any leaves on them, and when the sun was in a different place than it would be later in the summer when things were supposed to be growing at all. And so the garden did about nothing. And at some point I went out to check on the peach tree and was concerned about it. and as I approached, I noticed that that support post that had been you know securely tied to it was just sort of off on the side, sticking out of the ground, and the tree was separate from it. And I thought, oh man, is this tree going to make it or not?" And I went up and I just kind of you know poked the tree and it seemed pretty sturdy. I, I kind of pushed it a little harder and well wow, that feels pretty strong and I was a little more vigorous in shaking it and sure enough that tree was solidly in the ground, rooted pretty firmly and mature enough to stand on its own. That that support post was no longer necessary, even though it wasn't in the best place and getting the best sun and everything else, that tree was rooted. That tree was growing. And as we turn to 1 Corinthians 13 today, kind of following up on our theme for this year, we see that uh, some things that we think are really, really important and necessary, like that support post for the peach tree, are actually like that support post, just temporary. And we, we need to be careful as to what we prioritize in this season of life that the Lord has given to us, that that these things, like that support post that we're going to read about here, are temporary. But there is something that is not temporary. There is something that's going to last forever. And that is love. That love is, in fact, the root that alone will bear fruit in our lives that will root us firmly that we can stand that we can thrive even when we're not in the best circumstances so let's let's dig into that here in our passage for today 1 Corinthians 13 and we're going to focus on verses 8 through 13 but I'll read the whole chapter which is probably familiar to most this is God's word 1 Corinthians 13. I'll get there in a sec. We'll start with verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, verse 8, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now, faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's Word. Lord, would You meet us here today? Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to receive Your message about love. And may it be more than ink on paper, uh, pixels on our screens, sound waves hitting our eardrums. May it be the transforming and love-giving power that can only come from You. By Your Spirit, working with Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us, probably here in this room, think of 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. I just heard it down here, right? This is the love chapter. It is very common at wedding ceremonies, especially verses 4 through 7 or so. Sometimes the whole chapter, but very often verses 4 through 7 get read in wedding ceremonies. I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but when the original people receiving this letter in Corinth from the Apostle Paul received it, they probably were not thinking about weddings. In fact, one commentator I think puts it really well. He says, when the Corinthians first heard these words, they would not have thought, oh, how sweet, what beautiful, inspiring words. He says, they would have received Paul's words as a verbal spanking. Ouch! The repentant might pray, God, forgive us for being so unloving. The way we are acting is ugly, but the way of love is beautiful. It's not inappropriate for a wedding ceremony, but it is in its original context for the church, for God's people Gathering together. That's who most needed to hear this and probably still do. Look at verses one through three. They 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 vividly emphasize the nature of love with respect to things that we think of as kind of a religious churchy stuff. About, you know, our our words. It talks about our good deeds. It talks about our sacrificial acts of worship. This is very much about religiously type things as we usually think about them. But Paul's saying that without love, that's all useless. It, 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 It does nothing. Verses four through seven, where he talks about the character of love and how it shapes us and what love is and what love does. And he moves beyond comparing ourselves to one another and keeping records of wrongs and rising above those negative things to focus upon serving God and one another. That that is the essence of love to give and serve selflessly. But then he gets to the part we're mostly going to focus on today here in verses 8-13. through 13 which I didn't communicate to the AV team very well, which is why the rest of the chapter wasn't on there, uh, and this was, but this is our main focus. Verses 8-13, through 13, where, where the emphasis is on uh, transitions from the, the present, kind of how we need to live and love and what love looks like and all of that, to the future. Making this connection between where we are now and the importance and priority of love to where we will be one day. That we would value what God values and not lose sight of what will always be most important. And that is love. It is forever. Look at verse 8. Love never fails the ESV translate that as love never ends. Uh, The church in Corinth had a lot of issues. And one of them that this portion of scripture Paul's dealing with is that, that they valued things that were temporary. They valued the spiritual gifts and were puffing themselves up over, I have this gift and you don't, I'm better, and those kind of things. They had this Wrong priorities. And that's why this chapter here, this love chapter, is right between the discussion in chapter 12 of spiritual gifts and how everyone has them in the church and how they're to be used for the common good and how they all come from the same source. Paul then ends the chapter, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 12, saying, I'll show you a still more excellent way beyond even the spiritual gifts to say this is the way of love And then in verse chapter 14, he talks about how they were abusing the spiritual gifts and using them chaotically in their church gatherings. And so the the context is firmly here for us as God's people. It's it's not inappropriate to take the things we learn from here and apply them in our marriage. And would that every one of us loved our spouses the way Paul describes in verses 4 through 7, right? That we all would love each other in those ways, not just in our marriages, but as parents, as children, you know, as employees, as students, in every context, right? And there's a very important lesson for us as we focus on being a community that this year especially we're trying to emphasize will be known by its love for one another. That was our message a couple of weeks ago. And so let's, let's explore the implications of, of that truth, that, that, that love never fails, and that so much of what we think is important is actually temporary. And we're going to do that by looking at now and then. Now and then. First, uh, what in this passage is Paul talking about? Uh, what describes now in this present age that we're living in, the same age that the church in Corinth was living in. What is now? Well, first of all, now is, the, is a time of neediness. Now is the time when we are needy. Look at verse 9. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. Right, that we don't have the whole, we have a part. What does that mean? That means that we're needy. If you don't have the whole, you are missing something. And what are we missing? We, we're missing knowledge. We have a partial knowledge now. We have a, a partial understanding of the future as God reveals it through the prophets. We don't have the whole picture. We don't know for any of us what's going to happen tomorrow. We know general themes of the future of all of humanity and the world, right? But it's only a part knowledge. Uh, We divide over how things are going to happen at the end times, right? There's people who think it's going to happen this way and this way and this way. We know in parts. And he's speaking here in particular, I think, of those spiritual gifts of knowledge and prophecy uh, based on the context. And those gifts are only partial. No one has all knowledge. No one has all future awareness. This is a time of neediness. We don't have the whole. It is a time, secondly, for divine intervention. If we are needy, in fact, we are so needy that God has to intervene. God has to give us the gifts, the tools, the resources that we need to even grow in this age. Look at verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Again, those are the spiritual gifts in particular in view, the gift of prophecy and tongues and knowledge. He's already talked about them in chapter 12. He's going to talk about the abuse of them and how to handle them rightly in chapter 14 he's focusing on those particular gifts because they were a problem in the church in corinth that they didn't understand that it's it's god who's giving the gifts and he gives gifts to each one in fact first corinthians 12 verse 7 says it very clearly But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And he's just emphasized that there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. A variety of ministries and the same Lord. A variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That we are now in a time of need. So needy, that we would not grow, we would not get anything done if God did not intervene. If God did not give us the resources and the gifts that we need. And not only does He give us those resources, He gives to each a variety of gifts, but everyone gets one. The same Lord working so that we might be equipped for our Good for the common good. In fact, in First Corinthians 14 verse 26, Paul says, "Let all things be done for edification. but do not lose sight of the fact that we are needy, and God intervenes with the gifts and the tools, not that we would then be puffed up and feel really good about ourselves and our gifts and how much better we are than them and that and that kind of thing, but that we might, edify one another, that we might build each other up, strengthening one another, supporting one another. In a sense, we're all kind of together becoming one of those posts that is banded to the tree that we all might grow until the time when the post isn't necessary anymore, that together we strengthen one another. We are in this time of neediness where God has to intervene. In other words, we're in a time of immaturity, not maturity, a time when we need to grow. Look at verse 11. Paul uses this image of a child growing into manhood. He says, When I was a child, verse 11, I used to speak like a child, I used to think like a child and reason like a child. Now that sounds similar. I was like, wait a minute, thinking, reasoning, what's the difference? The, the, the sense is this, that well, I used to think like a child means that um, I had kind of a childish mindset. I was concerned about childish things. My, my attitude was that of a child as I lived my life. I was oriented towards childish things. To say then that I reasoned like a child is to say that I made decisions like a child. I considered and reckoned things, evaluated and assessed things like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. He's saying we're in this phase where we are like children. And we need to grow and mature. The church in Corinth, when they they didn't get it, when they didn't understand the role of gifts, you know, They were essentially like toddlers, two, three, four-year-olds, right? Fighting over whose toy is better. You know, you got the toddler with the, the xylophone thing on a string. You know, one of those. It's got the four wheels and a xylophone, and you pull it, it's like ding, 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 ding. You know, they've got the one's got that xylophone on a string. Another child has, you know, a pretend lawnmower that you push around. And it's like doo 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 doo. Maybe it blows bubbles, right? Um, two toys that we've had in our family, right, and. And, then, and so they're fighting, and they're like, no, my toy is so much better. You know, I can make beautiful music. And the other one's like, no, but look, I can, I can mow the pretend grass. You know, we actually had children, by the way, who fought over pretend water. The one made a, a, a resource crisis by saying, no, you can't have some of my pretend water. And the other child came crying to the parents saying, he won't let me have some of the pretend water. And we're like, there's just so many things there. I mean, your mind can go so many places. And we blew them away with this observation. Why don't you pretend you have your own water? <laughs> they were like, oh, what? I can do that? That's, that's, the, that's the silliness of the level of arguing about our spiritual gifts. They are for a period of immaturity. They're a sign of our neediness. And if you want to boast that yours is better than theirs, it's like a child boasting which toy is better. You know, someday, you you can have like a full-blown xylophone. You ever see one of those things? There's like level upon level of the little uh, thingy-dingies that make the little music, and people are like... You could have a full-blown xylophone. You could have not only a lawnmower, you know, you could have like a a bulldozer, man. You could could be digging in the dirt with something giant. These are toys. They're a sign of our immaturity. And it's understandable that we struggle with that. Because that's who we are that we are a needy people, that we are not fully arrived, that we only have a part of the knowledge, that we only have a little bit of the picture. We don't see, not only do we not see the future clearly, we only know in part, and we prophesy in part, right? We only have a a little bit of the future. We don't understand ourselves fully. We see ourselves, as Paul puts it here, kind of indirectly and, and kind of, in in a mysterious way. Look at verse 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Set aside the thought of now and then and what they're referring to. Uh, We'll talk about that in a second. But notice that he says, now we see in a mirror dimly. The word there has a sense of just, you know, not clearly. Mysteriously, it's the same word we get enigma from, which is a mystery. You know, and it could refer to the fact that mirrors back then were, you know, polished metal usually and not like we have glass with, you know, silver on the back of it or something or something even more man-made now these days and better. Uh, that, that, there's a sense of that. But if you couple that with what he says at the end about knowing Notice what he says, not that I'm going to know everything, but he emphasizes one thing in particular, then I'll know fully, even as I have been fully known. There's a a relational component here that I tend to view as knowing ourselves more fully. I, I read it as I'm going to know fully what's going on in my own heart as I have been fully known by God. It could be referring to God, that then I I will know God fully, but I I don't think we will ever know God fully. Because by definition, God is just way bigger than us, knows everything, and we're never going to know everything. We're never going to be God. So I take it as really what's in view here is this sense of we don't know ourselves very well. And we will in the future know ourselves very well. We also don't know God very well, and we will know Him better. But notice what then is saying that the immaturity and the areas of growth that we most need to focus on is not uh, the skills of preaching and teaching and, and prophesying and uh, hospitalitizing or whatever, how you turn all those into verbs or whatever part of speech that is, right? That it's, it's not so much those skills that Paul is emphasizing here, that the Word of God is emphasizing. It's actually the underlying motivation, the relational aspect, that it has to be rooted in love. And that we need to pay attention to ourselves and our own hearts of why we do what we do. Why we don't do what we don't do. That there is this immaturity, not with respect to skills and abilities exactly, but of a brokenness in our own relationships. Knowing ourselves, knowing God, loving one another. That it all is is connected. Because he says, right, in, in the first few verses of this chapter, that we could, we could do amazing <clears throat> things. First Corinthians 13, the first couple of verses. You could speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if you don't have love, you're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You could, you could have the gift of prophecy and reveal all kinds of mysteries and knowledge. You could have all kinds of faith that you move mountains. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. If you give all of your possessions to feed the poor, if you give your body to be burned, that kind of sacrifice, but you don't have love, you gain nothing. The call is, is to, to root it all in love. right? That would do away with the comparisons. That would do away with the envy. I wish I could do what they do. That would do away with the, the lack of service. The focus is on the reality that we could have tremendous gifts and skills and abilities and still be incredibly immature and needy and not love very well. I feel that. I see that. I live it. Do you experience that? that sense of, of love <clears throat> that is, is lacking. Maybe in the way that you speak to others or your lack of patience or uh, your, your pride or, or envy or any of the characteristics that describe love in verses 4-7. through seven. Kindness, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant. Verse 5. Not seeking its own. Not rude. Not easily provoked. Not keeping a record of wrongs. Not rejoicing in unrighteousness. Rejoicing with the truth. Bearing all things. Believing all things. Believing the best. Hoping all things. Staying positive. Persevering, enduring all things. I don't... I don't know that any of us, if we looked at that list and were honest, would say, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident I do all of those things, right? But you need to go back and revisit the arrogant one, maybe, if you do. Or ask your spouse or children. And so if, if you feel that, if you want to apply this passage, I would say, you know, maybe take one of those characteristics in, in verses 4 through 7, one of those ones that you feel like... I. I I, I need to work on this. I need to grow in this area. Take it. Meditate on it. Consider it. Search the Scriptures for other places where it's talked about. Uh, repent of, of places where you've failed to say, you know, be patient. Kind. Persevere. Maintain a positive outlook. Whatever it is. you know. And repent of, of your failure in that area. Ask God for help. And this isn't just like, oh, do that this afternoon and you're good to go, right? This is like you know, put this into your into your habitual prayer list and concentrate on it for weeks. Ask the Lord to bring people into your life that you could say, you know, they sort of they sort of exhibit that attribute of love that I'm lacking in. Lord, help me to understand where it's coming from. Talk to one of one of your elders or a mature believer and ask for help you know where what are scripture passages and and role models places you can look for that there's online resources if you want to grow in loving other people and and loving god engaging him i would encourage you to check out uh, relational wisdom 360 rw360 it's got great tools and resources very familiar with it Um, that we would grow in those areas and you know, if you really want to grow in love, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it, it, it's related to how you serve and do you serve that rather than, you know, comparing your gifts to other people or worrying about how they are using their gifts and what they are doing or not doing, put your gifts to use. You know, we are all needy. And we are all the solution to the need. The the early church in Acts two forty two to forty seven, you know, they didn't have needs. Material needs seems to be in view. A couple times that's repeated in the book of Acts. They didn't have needs because they were sharing everything together. They were together. They they knew each other well enough to know what the needs were and to meet them. They knew each other well enough that they would honestly share their needs. That that community then became this bold witness for Christ by their love for one another. Because they all recognized they were needy and they all recognized that they also had something to give as a friend of mine once put it, there are no love handles on the body of Christ. You know what a love handle is—the little fat we got right here. Right, love, love handles. Uh, you know, the body of Christ, the church, is lean. There's no unnecessary parts. Right, there's no uh, love handles. We're all needed. And so put your gifts to use, Serve others. That that is the essence of of love, right? Is, Is not focusing on self, but reaching out toward others. Loving them. And that's what marks now. And then just a few very brief thoughts about, okay, that's now. What about then? Then is the repeated contrast here, right? He says, now we see... But then, now I know, but then, verse 12. Verses 8 through 13, there's this present and future contrast. You know, he says, there's a time when things will be done away with, they'll pass away. There's a time when the perfect comes. And that is, to me, the defining mark of deciding what's the then that he's talking about. Verse 10. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. There's debate about how you understand that a lot of people would say, well, the perfect is the the Bible being all put together and everything. And I, I think that's a pretty weak argument. Um, if you look at what's happening here, it could be some people say it's the maturity of the church when the church is, you know, mature and growing. And I'm like, when is that going to happen? That's that we're all going to be immature forever. We're going to need spiritual gifts. Uh, so the third view, the one that I think is, is, is in line with the Scripture as a whole, is that it's when Christ returns. That when, as Philippians 1 talks about it, when He who began a good work in you brings it to completion, which is at the day of Christ. That that's when we will not, no longer know in part now, but then we'll know fully as we've been fully known. That none of that's going to happen until we get rid of sin and brokenness within us till we've been fully renewed and restored. And that's only going to happen when Jesus returns. We're going to get it then. We'll understand then. That's the time when He says in verse 13, right? The greatest of these is love. That faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest is love. That, that love is the one that's going to last forever. That love is the thing that roots us. Everything else is the temporary supports. The spiritual gifts are those supports that are helping the tree to stand up. It's love in the roots that bounds the church as that tree that then we grow. If you you don't have love in the roots, you're going to topple over. Or you're going to have to have that post attached forever. And that's not what's going to happen. That's not how things are going to go. The only thing that's going to have a standing upright is love. It is the root. The gifts are temporary. What matters now is love. And it's going to matter into the future. Jonathan Edwards said, what makes the church like heaven? The answer is love. That it is as we love one another, Jesus put it this way, right? That the world will know we're His disciples. It's as we love one another that the future is entering in now. It's as we love one another that we are being grounded and founded to grow up fit for heaven. If you're struggling, in other words, if you're struggling now to love other people, to love God, you're going to be super uncomfortable in heaven because that's going to be the thing that carries on. If you're much more concerned about your skills and your ability and whatever it is, you know, if you're more focused on being the best teacher ever, or if you're more focused on being the biggest giver ever, or more focused on being the best evangelist ever, if you're focused on those things without love rooted in the bottom of it and motivating it, you're going to get to heaven and be like, but, 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 put what? I, this isn't right. This is uncomfortable. I don't like it. Because the only thing that's really equipping us and moving us toward heaven is the things that are rooted in love. And in fact, it is love that brings that future into the present. And you think about that, the biggest example of that, the the reality of that is that Jesus, the one who is in eternity, right? He came. Love. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He came into this world. He brought the future now. He showed us where we're headed. And if you're not comfortable with following the path that Jesus took, you're not going to be comfortable in eternity because that is the path of love. That is the path of sacrifice. It is the path of putting yourself lower to lift others up. Not to become a doormat, but to become one who lifts others up. To rejoice in that. And you know it. You know it. You've experienced it. If you know Jesus, you've experienced those times when you have done something selflessly and you just are rejoicing that someone else is benefiting it. Maybe you gave an anonymous gift. Maybe you, you, you did something sacrificial and weren't even thinking about it, just responded from your heart because that's who you are. That's who you are because that's who God is. And that's who God is working in you to make you more and more of. To root you in love that we might be rooted in love, that we might experience that love for eternity, even when all these temporary things are gone. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your love for us that would enter into this world and live for us, die for us, rise for us, send the Spirit into us and make us more like you changing our hearts that we might love that we might recognize where we fail to love lord convict us of those places give us wisdom and discernment about where we need to grow in love and where it's even hindering the things that we're doing as we're trying to lead or teach as we're trying to serve and give where we're trying to tell people about jesus and witness lord Show us those places where those things are actually hindered because we don't love. Work in us, Lord Jesus. Work in us, Heavenly Father. Because You have loved us and will continue to be gracious to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.